We live in a time that's confused. You read the papers and almost every headline is one that is intended to create anxiety. You see the news on television and almost from one newscast to another, the changes that are taking place in our world and in our time are such as to create anxiety and disturb the heart. In the midst of all of this, is there really anything that can enable us to live with peace of mind and heart? Are there some things that we can think about that will help us through troublous times such as we're going through today? I believe that there are. And I want to read a verse tonight and spend our time in talking about what's suggested in this verse. In Revelation 19 and verse 6, And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Think about that verse. And its meaning to people that believe in and serve God. When man entered, uh, when man, sin entered into the world, it would seem as though God's plan had been thwarted by the devil, and that all the good things that God had made for man <clears throat> would be lost forever. Was there really any future and any hope? Look at the darkness of Genesis 3. The fellowship that man had enjoyed with God was broken by sin. Can it be repaired? Can it be undone? Is there any future? And then we hear God purposing in Genesis 3, 15, 16. But time passes on, and I read that wickedness becomes so prevalent in the earth that every imagination and every thought of man's heart was evil continually. And all the righteous people that are left in the earth are just eight. Is there any hope? Can sin and the damage that it has wrought ever be undone? There's the judgment of the flood. God starts over again. Time passes. You come to Genesis 11, and there is the building of the Tower of Babel. Rebellion against God. And since God had announced that he would not destroy the earth with a flood anymore, how can God handle the situation? And so you have the calling of Abraham. There's Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and then... Jacob goes down into Egypt, his descendants in Egypt, and Joseph. And then we read that there comes a time when there's a Pharaoh that knew not Joseph. And God's people are placed in bondage. How can God's purpose to undo the damage of sin ever take place? And then we read of the calling of Moses, and the commission of Moses, and the, uh, Moses leading the 
Israelites out of Egyptian bondage, and they get over into the wilderness, having crossed the Red Sea, leaving Egypt behind. And then the multitude of the people began to murmur and complain. Unbelief enters in. The very people through whom God has chosen to bless the world have now turned their back upon him and are murmuring and complaining. God says, I'll destroy it, because ten times they murmured. Is there any hope? There were two men. Are they twenty years of age or older that still believed in God? And thus the purpose of God continues. They settled Canaan, and then you come to the book of Judges. And you read that every man did that which was right in his own eyes, because there was no king in Israel. And look at what took place in the book of Judges. Is there any hope? Are not things out of hand? Is there any way that God is in control and can determine the issues that lie ahead? It looks dark. Then we have the call of Samuel. And then the rebellion of the nation saying, that we want to be like the nations round about us. First Samuel chapters 8 and 9, the anointing of Saul as king of Israel, and then the kind of king that Saul became. And we see the nation as it's going down and down, and finally there is a division in the nation. Ten tribes are carried off by Jeroboam. And then the two tribes that are left, Continue their downward trend, rejecting prophets, despising God, until finally Babylon overruns the nation. Is there any hope? Is there any way? And a remnant comes out and uh, is brought back to the land under Ezra, Nehemiah, and then we read the last prophet of the Old Testament, Malachi as it cries out against the sin and the shame of God's own people. They're giving God the lame and the hawk. Sin on every side. Is there any hope? 400 silent years, and then there's the birth of Christ. And it would seem that at least there is a ray of hope, and then we find him nailed to the cross. The only sinless person the world has ever known. Is there any hope? It looks like God's plan is overthrown when they take his own son and put him on the cross. And then you see what happens with Pentecost and the enmity that manifests against the church as you read the epistles, the book of Acts and the epistles. And then you come down to Revelation 19, 6, and the verse which I read. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude and the voice of many waters, and the voice of mighty thundering say, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. That passage says that God is on his throne. What a thrill. What it does to the soul. In the midst of all that the eye can see. And the confusion that surrounds us. To be able to say. 
and to know that God is on his throne. We came hurriedly down through the windings of the Old Testament, the difficulties and the trials, the unfolding of redemption, and when it would seem time after time that God had lost control, that his sovereignty over the earth had been forfeited, we find that such was not the case. And in the very last book of the Bible, and in almost the last chapter, chapter 19, just three more chapters and the Bible will close, the statement is made that God omnipotent reigns. God is on his throne. I'd like to take that thought tonight and develop some things from it that I hope all of us will appreciate. Number one, if God is on his throne, it means that I'm not. I don't determine the issues of life. I don't control the world. That's not my place. I do not decide right and wrong because God is on his throne. That's his work. He's the one that determines right and wrong. And to read the verse that God is on his throne ought to remind each one of us that God settles the issues of what's right and what's wrong. Therefore, I must turn to him, listen to him, let him decide and determine the things that are right and wrong. In the second place, since God is, uh, is on his throne, we do not own the world. This is God's work. God made it. Go back and read Genesis 1. From the time that God made this world, He's never given it up. The world is. All things in it belong to him. And as we look at the world, as we see it, with all the things today that disturb, we should remind ourselves of the fact that God's on the throne and this is his work. He's not going to give it up. He's not going to turn it loose, and in spite of all that's wrong in it, it's still his word. I need to remember that. It doesn't belong to me. It doesn't belong to anybody else. And because this world is his, he'll determine the final issue. Just as in Genesis 3, when man sinned, God announced his purpose and made his promise. Down through the winding years of time, until John could write in Revelation 19, God is on his throne. Then in the third place, if God is on his throne, then my life ought to be God-centered and not world-centered or self-centered. My life needs to have God in the very center of it. And 
The Bible from the very beginning all the way through teaches this principle. The first statement of the Bible is intended to remind of the importance of this. In the beginning, God is intended to remind us that God is first, above and beyond and behind all things. And it's before him that we ought to bow. And he must be first in our lives. Jesus taught the same thing in Matthew 6.33 when he said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Therefore, since God is on his throne, since God reigns, God ought to have the first place in my life. The greatest tragedy that can happen in life is for life to become world-centered or self-centered. When my life becomes centered around the things of this world and is not God-centered, such as in Luke 12 when the rich man said, I'll tear down my barns and build greater barns, his life was not God-centered, it was world-centered and self-centered. And his whole world crumbled whenever God said, Thou fool, this night is thy soul required of thee. How careful we ought to be to see that our lives are God-centered. But again, since God is on his throne, it means that God is the judge of all things. Therefore, God will have the final say. Oh, I can live and I can ignore what God says. I can live and refuse to listen to what the Lord says. There'll come the time when God's word will be the last word. And that'll be the word that'll count. John 12, 48, Jesus said, The words that I have spoken, the same shall judge you in the last day. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my word, Oh, yes, they could turn him down. They could reject him. But Jesus said, when all of that's done, when you refuse to listen, the time will come when I'll have the last say. My word will determine death. The things that I've spoken, the same will judge you in the last day. And as we read the Bible and hear what the Lord has to say concerning our responsibilities, our opportunities, our needs, we need to remind our hearts that the Bible says, God omnipotent reigns. God is on his throne, and because he's on his throne, he's going to judge and determine all the issues of life. But then, there's some other things that we need to remember in this connection. If God is on his throne, then change or fate is not. Things don't just happen. Things are not just accidents. We read in the story of the Good Samaritan that a man was 
in the ditch, and along came a priest and a Levite. And the record says, the Bible says, by chance. Well, that wasn't accidental. The word chance is not used in the sense of faith. There was an opportunity. And they decided their destiny by their reaction to the opportunity that they had. Aren't you glad that faith does not determine destiny? Have you ever thought about what it would be like to live in this world? And then to think that the final issues of life will be determined by chance? And I'm just like a pawn in the world, and I really do not know how things are going to come out. That I have no way of knowing that everything that is accidental and by chance, or that fate may be this way or that way, and I never know just where I'm going to stand. I'm glad to read Revelation 19 and 6. And to read the statement that God is on his throne. That means my life has not left a chance. It's not left to faith. With God's help and with God's direction, I can determine the ultimate issues of life. I'm not thrown around and tossed around with every wind and every wave. And James points out that faith doesn't do that. It's only the man without faith that's tossed to and fro like the ships upon the sea. But then again, if God is on his throne, it means that the rulers of the nation are not. You know, when you read the paper and you see about what Russia's doing, and then you read the paper and you see about what China's doing, and then you read the paper and see uh, what they're doing over in the Arab country. They're meeting and deciding what to do about the oil and how they're going to use it this way and that way. You begin to wonder. Well, what's going to be the outcome? What's going to happen? Well, I may not know as far as the particular things are concerned. There's one thing that I know. That in the final analysis, the Arabs are not on God's throne, nor the Jews, nor the Americans. God is on his throne, and the ultimate issues will be determined as God sees it. Just as long as my life is in the hollow of his hand, and beneath the shadow of his way, I have his word that he'll see me through. That's not to say that throughout the changes of time and the issues that confront worlds 
and nations, that I may not have to suffer. God never made such a promise as that. But God gave me his word that he's on his throne and that he'll determine the ultimate issue. That just as long as I'm faithful to him, I have his word that he'll take care of. I'm glad tonight that God Almighty is on his throne and that I'm his child. That means that the wicked men of this world will not determine the outcome and the issues of faith. God will have his say. Doesn't it fill the heart and bring peace of mind to be able to lay down at night, having seen the news about all the decisions that men are making this way and that? To be able to remind yourself that you're a simple Christian and that your father is on his throne. And as the Bible says, he's omnipotent, all powerful, and that he'll have the say and the final say and determine the outcome and the issue. One thing... <clears throat> I'm sure of. I don't know what the Arabs are going to do. I may end up walking. But there's a, another thing that I'm sure of. That because my God is on his throne, I can say all will be well. I believe that. I not only believe that, I know that. There's no way it can be any other way. Because God is not going to abdicate his throne. And that's what this passage says. When we're reading the headlines about all the things that are taking place in the vast nations of the earth, we do well to remind ourselves of this fact. That God is on his throne. He's not turned it over to them. Look at what's happened in the history of the world. Pharaoh thought the world belonged to him, but God said, no, it doesn't. This is my world, and I'm on the throne. And he sent Moses down and said, let my people go. Pharaoh said, I don't want to do it. I'm not going to do it. But God said, yes, you will. I'm on the throne. And that's what happened. Look at what Nebuchadnezzar did when he carried... God's people into captivity. He said, this is my world. I control it. God said, oh, no, you don't. Read Isaiah 14. Read the book of Daniel. God said, I'll teach you that this is not your world. And I'll let you go out and eat grass like a cow until seven times pass over your head and let you learn that I'm on the throne and that I determine the issue and that the very nation that you're over will be overthrown and the very people that will overthrow it will turn my people loose and let them go out of bondage. And that's exactly what happened. Isaiah 45, God prophesied that Cyrus 
44 and 45, that Cyrus would send his people back out of captivity. That's the God that I serve. That's the God that's my father. And that's the God that's on the throne. Above this old wicked, disturbed, and sinful world in which we live tonight. And I need to drive that thought down deep into my heart. That the nation throughout the earth do not determine the final issues. God does. He's on the throne. Then, since God is on the throne, it means that other people are not. Therefore, I must come to his word and let him direct my life. But you see that there's so much evil in the world. And the power that there is in sin, does this not prove that God is not on his throne? Look at all that's happened. People raise questions and say, well, if God is on his throne, why are there wars, disease? That's no proof that God is not on his throne. Job was sick and afflicted. God said to Satan, you can go so far and no further. Sin and disease are diseases in the world because of sin. It doesn't mean that God doesn't rule, nor that God is not on his throne. Think about the matter of death. It seems that death uh, is so strong and powerful that there's not anything that can defeat death. Because the very day I was born into this world, death started following me. And every step that I've taken from the day that I was born till this day, it's been following. Plod, plod, plod. I've never taken a step when it wasn't right there. Stop. There's no way. But what one day, I know not when or how soon, he'll catch up and say, oh yeah, I had you. You've been running, struggling, fighting, now it's all over. I have it. And there's no way that that can be avoided. But what about it? Let me read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And listen to this. Beginning in verse 24. Then cometh the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and all power. For he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. You see, God, through Christ, 
and Christ is deity, in that sense, God, is to rule and to put down all enemies. That includes death. But I want to read a little bit further. Listen. For he has put all things under his feet, but when he saith all things are put under him, it's manifest that he is accepted which did put all things under him. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him, that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. There cannot win. There's no way that God can be God and death be on the throne. And the statement that God is on his throne means there's no way that death can ever win. It can't do it. Because just as surely as my body shall return back to the dust from which it came and never come forth, just that surely God could never be all in all. It didn't mean that evil had won the victory, that God was not on his throne. The only way that death will ever win would be in God abdicating his throne. That God will never do. I know that just as surely as I'm before you tonight, out there somewhere, I know not how soon nor when, but there's a grave that's waiting me. As I pass by the cemetery and look at those graves, they look so enduring. For one by one, as people have been put in the grave, in all the years that I've been living, not a one have I seen empty. Not a one. They're still there. As I look at it from a human standpoint, it seems to me that death is the conqueror. Until I read... Revelation 19.6, the Lord God omnipotent reigns. It's not any wonder that the statement was made. Hallelujah or hallelujah. God reigns. God's on his throne. It ought to thrill every heart of every Christian to know. Tonight, in spite of all the difficulties, the confusion, the anxiety, my Father rules the world. He's on his throne. And he'll determine the outcome, the issues. If I can drive that thought into my heart, Keep it there. 
while those who are not Christians live anxious and confused, disturbed, I can have peace of mind because I know that the one that's on the throne doeth all things well. You know, that's worth more than all this world has to offer tonight. I'd rather go home tonight knowing that I'm a simple Christian and have not one thing in this world except the clothes on my back and to sleep under a tree and to know that God is my Father. And deep down in my heart, God is on his throne. Like Jacob, I could lay down with a rock as a pillow and sleep, peaceful sleep. For God reigns. Are you a Christian tonight? Just think about what that means. If you're not a Christian, think about what you're missing. You're having to live without all of that. And to try to make it your own way. It's not any wonder you're disturbed and confused and anxious. Because you're trying to figure out how all things will be. Instead of being a Christian and simply saying, God is my Father. He's on his throne. He'll take care. He'll determine the issues. And see the outcome. If you're here tonight, not a Christian, <clears throat> wouldn't you become one? Because since God is on his throne, he decides right and wrong. He tells you how to leave the world of sin. He tells you how to live right. Teaches you how to grow in faith and to serve. And you can... Through the obedience of the gospel of Christ with faith, repentance, confession, and baptism begin that life. If tonight you have allowed the world and the confusion and the anxiety of the world to turn your mind from him and to render obedience to Satan instead of God that's on his throne, why not renounce that? Through penance and prayer and confession. And leave here tonight by saying that God is on his throne and he's on the throne of my heart. And therefore all things will be well. The invitation is yours. Why together we stand and serve.